is one symbol throughout human history that is most recognizable by everyone, no matter your background, no matter your race, no matter your faith, no matter what your beliefs are, no matter where you grew up, and no matter what influences you've had. One symbol, ladies and gentlemen, the cross. The cross. The cross is ostensibly the most polarizing yet the most unifying symbol simultaneously in human history. The cross is stark, just as the crucifixion of Christ was a stark and horrible scene. The cross is a symbol that we can never forget. And I don't believe that any human artist has ever depicted what happened that day that Jesus went to Calvary. Or if they did, we would certainly avert our eyes away from it, that horrible and terrible scene. Yet the cross is the center of the Christian faith. And it's unique to Christianity. You see, there's no religion, not Islam, Baha'i faith, Hinduism, or any of the other countless cults that there might be that has a symbol that is so recognizable and also has the impact of the cross. The cross anchors the Christian faith. Why? Because it is the foundation of our salvation. It is our foundation. God has given us many things to learn and to teach as Christians. He's given us many doctrines, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of speaking in tongues, the doctrine of laying on of hands, the doctrine of water baptism, and uh, the doctrine of healing, and the doctrine of deliverance, and none of them would be available to us without the cross. There's nothing we can do without the cross. Without the cross, we have good intentions. We have a capacity to try to be morally correct and live with integrity. We even have some good sermons, but no impact, no results without the cross. Hebrews 10, 14 says that for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. This means that the crucifixion was a perfect one-time event that need not be repeated. Come on. And it would be completely perfect for all of those who put their faith in the Lord Jesus. Uh, through our sanctification, and our sanctification is a process, the, this revelation of this one-time sacrifice is the catalyst to our perfection. You have to have the revelation of what happened at the cross. Come on now. This is why the cross must be at the center of it all. It has to be at the center. We cannot forget and we cannot leave the cross. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about the cross, the purpose of the cross, the power of the cross, and the power of his resurrection. In his book, Atonement, Derek Prince declares that if we do not give the cross its rightful place at the center of our lives, our faith 
loses its meaning and its power if we do not give the cross its rightful place. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 21, the Bible says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jew a stumbling block. To the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. How foolish is it for an all-knowing, perfect God to allow his son to be killed by sinners? How foolish is it for an all-knowing, perfect God to submit himself to his own creation in order to buy back that very creation because he loved them so much? What could be weaker in the sight of man than a man to hang on a cross, bleeding, pummeled, come on, beaten and torn? What could be weaker, dying in agony? But the weakness of God, Paul says, is stronger than men and the foolishness of God wiser than men. You see, the real source of strength and wisdom lies in the cross. It lies in the cross. The cross. Jesus was the son of a carpenter <laughs> and he later became a carpenter himself. How ironic that he would be crucified and his own demise would come on the very thing that he uses to shape and form wonderful artistry. Wood. The cross. What we have to understand about the cross is simply this. When we try to describe the events that took place, we use stories and metaphors and illustrations I've heard many illustrations over the years, one being that uh, God was like a, a, a railroad man and a train was coming down the track and his, his son was playing on the tracks and all of the people on the train uh, would have hit his son and, and the, track would have, the train would have gone off the track and all those people would have been killed. Or he could choose to crush his son and lie on the track and the train would run over his son but all the people would be saved and he chose to sacrifice his son. I've heard so many stories like this and they're good stories and they attempt to allow us to understand what God went through. I heard another one where there was a virus in the world and it was going around and everybody was dying and they couldn't find a cure and they began to take people's blood to try to see if someone was immune to it and finally they found one little boy whose blood was immune uh, to this virus and they asked his father can we have your your son's blood in order to save the rest of the world and he said sure how much of it do you need and they said well we need all of it and these are impactful stories but can I tell you something these this morning even these stories fall short of what God did for us. And I'll tell you why. 
Because these stories depict a person or a God who is reactionary. Oh my God, there is sin in the world and now I must do something. But the truth of the matter is God knew before he formed you in your mother's womb that he would send his son to the cross. The cross was on purpose. And what we've got to understand as a people is that the cross didn't happen to Christ. Christ happened to the cross. Come on, somebody. He knew well what he was doing when he went to the cross. It was not a surprise to him that he had to go to the cross. The Bible says a lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. The cross. The cross must be at the center. It's a universal symbol. Didn't happen to Jesus. He happened to it. John 19, 30, so when Jesus received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, the Bible says he gave, he gave up his spirit. For God so loved the world that he gave. Come on now. God gave. He knew what he was doing. No one surprised Christ and killed him. He did it because he loves you and he loves me just that much. And he was the only sacrifice that would suffice. Alexander McLaren said the cross is the center of the world's history. The incarnation of Christ and the crucifixion of our Lord are the pivot round which all events of the ages revolve. Every event pivots around this one event, the crucifixion of Christ do we understand the impact come on death by crucifixion was uh, in the first century AD it was a hideous sight the torture the brutality the agony the embarrassment of the cross come on it was a capital punishment designed only for the worst criminals in the Jewish culture it was considered a sign of being cursed by God Friends and family of a person who had been crucified became the subject of ridicule and derision. They suffered shame and scorn that was associated with crucifixion. It was excruciating. In fact, the word excruciating gets its root in the word cross. It was cross or crux that they came up with excruciating. Christ suffered an excruciating death. And the worst of it is that our sins killed Jesus. We were not innocent bystanders in it all. Our sins killed Jesus. There are a few things that we must know about the purpose of the cross and what it does for us. First of all, we have to understand this just as people. Number one, man sinned. And when I say man, I mean human, not males. Man, humans, sinned and must die. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. And I want to mention something about the wages of sin is death out of the book of Romans. When Jesus died on the cross, it did not change the fact, it didn't change the law that the wages of sin is death. Today, still, the wages of sin is death. It's still death. 
The only difference is the price was paid. It didn't change it. Oh, now, the, you know, the wages of sin is not death. It's something else. And you might say, well, why would you say that? That seems to be obvious. But I believe there's a lot of us in the world who live like the wages of sin is not death. Come on. They used to call it sloppy agape. We didn't appreciate, come on, what God had done for us. We didn't fully understand because we are saved and because we're on this side of salvation, we never look back to the foot of the cross and understand just what happened and how we got to where we are today. You just didn't wake up saved. Come on. Oh, he shed his blood, all of it on the cross. And I wasn't going to say this. I really don't want to get into this. Uh, my wife is laughing at me because we've had some discussions over the last few weeks. But I, I do want to mention this to you, just so you understand the impact. We sing songs about the blood. Now look, stay with me now. Don't leave out the church. Don't stop listening to me. We sing songs about the blood and the perfect blood of the Lamb. But I want you to understand something. When Jesus came to earth, sure, he had some DNA from the Holy Spirit, but he also got some blood from his mother. Come on now. And yeah, was the blood perfect? Yes, it was perfect, but it wasn't perfect because God said, bling, let the blood be perfect. Jesus lived a sinless life. And I'll, I'll tell you this, if, if his blood... If he, all he had to do was just shed a little bit of blood and that was it. Why didn't he just cut himself and wipe it on Peter and say, you're healed? Or why didn't he just go down to the Red Cross and give blood once every six months? And that would have been sufficient. No. The blood unto death is why his blood was perfect. That's why he had perfect blood because it was, his blood was shed unto the death of the cross. That's why his blood was perfect. You have to take all of it in context. If Christ wouldn't have died, where would we be? Would we be singing those same songs if he wouldn't have died? There must have been a sacrifice. Yes, yes, the shed blood. Come on, the shed blood of the lamb. But it's because he shed his blood and died on the cross. Jesus paid it all and he gave it all. He gave it all. Man sinned and must die. And no man born of Adam's race could qualify as all are born of sin and shapen in iniquity. None of us could do it because none of us have lived a perfect life. John 14, 4, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? No one, the Bible says. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my hard service, I will wait till my change comes. Job 14, 14. Job 25, 4. How then can a man be righteous before God, or how can he be pure who is born of a woman? He must live a sinless life. None of us are able to do that. But Christ alone, virgin birth, was the only way to accomplish this. Only God could redeem man, but God could not redeem man as God. This is what you have to understand. Couldn't redeem man as God. Couldn't just show up on the earth in his divinity 
and redeem man because of the laws and rules that he set. He had to be man. Thus God became a sinless man by the incarnation so that he could redeem man back to himself. Couldn't do it as God. This speaks to the fact that a lot of us look at Jesus and say, well, that was Jesus. I can't live a life like that. But I'm here to tell you this morning that everything Jesus did, he did as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. Come on. Now he is at the right hand of the Father. He is risen. Come on, somebody. He's God, and there's no one like him. And I know you don't understand it. You want to argue about the Trinity and oneness, but I'm here to tell you this morning, you don't understand it. You can argue as much as you want about doctrine, but God is three and God is one. And you just won't know till you get there. It's a mystery. But Jesus is God. He's the Messiah. There's no one like him. He is God. I believe even in Isaiah it said he's a wonderful counselor, an everlasting father. It wasn't talking about God the Father. It was talking about Jesus. Read it. Everlasting father. Well, how can that be? I don't know. But I believe in him because he died on the cross for me and for you. Come on. We got to understand that man needed a mediator, a judge, an umpire, an arbitrator. Come on. A go-between, a reconciler. And we'll talk about atonement in just a minute. He needed somebody between because he's, he's God. Somebody's got to stand in the way. Come on. Somebody's got to make a sacrifice. The sacrifice of animals were not enough. 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men. Man, the man, the Bible says, Christ Jesus. The man Christ Jesus. And then we have to understand that God, listen, please get the impact of this one. God hates sin with a perfect hatred and cannot tolerate it. The righteousness of God demands that sin be exposed, judged, and punished. Now, when I say God hates sin with a perfect hatred, that means that there is no wiggle room for anything. Some of us might say, well, I just, I, I hate, I hate that particular food. Well, what if I don't put this in there and do it? Well, okay, I can take it then. That's not a perfect hatred. Come on. God hates sin with a perfect hatred. There is nothing that sin can do to appease God. Sin is enmity with God. Not at enmity, it is enmity with God can't be in the same place. He hates it. Psalm 89, 14 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth grow before your face. And so we realize that then sin separated man from God because God has this perfect hatred creating a gulf between us and him. Come on. Man is sinful by nature and therefore sin in thought, words, and deeds are our makeup as man without God. He is not a sinner. He is not a sinner. Man is not a sinner because he sins, but man sins because he is a sinner. He does what he does because of who he is. Sin separated us. You know Romans 3.23. For all have sinned. Come on, finish it. And fallen short of the glory of God. 
all have sinned. David said, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. That's why even the best of people still need redemption. That's why Billy Graham still needed redemption. He'll tell you the same. That's why Mother Teresa still needed redemption. Come on. And then we have to understand that sin is judged by God. Oh, the reaction of God's holiness against man's sinfulness is wrath. The wrath of God is simply the righteous anger of a good and holy God against sin. It's judged by God. Romans 1.8, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. God judges sin, and the result of that is his wrath. But through the cross, God forgives sin because of the sacrifice, because of the sacrifice. The cross of Christ and his death they are the mediator who is to atone for man's sin, to appease God's wrath at the same time. The cross of Christ and his death. Why? Because the sin of the world was put upon Jesus. The sin of every sin, every sin ever committed, every sin committed this morning on your way to church, Every sin that will be committed this afternoon and next week and in 2020 and in 2050, should the Lord tarry. Those who are not born yet, they'll commit sin. And guess what? All of that was already put on the shoulders of Christ. The wages of sin is death. That's why Christ had to die. That's why he had to shed all of his blood and die. Come on. The crucified Christ, the Lamb of God, the atonement was foreordained before man was even created or before sin even entered the world. He had already foreordained the cross. Foreordained it. Not only before man was created, but before sin entered, he already, he already had a plan to redeem us before we knew that we had to be redeemed. And then the death of Christ was an absolute unique death, for his death was an atoning death. All redemption of humanity rests on his death. His death was the only death in all the deaths of mankind that was ordained by God to reconcile man, purge sin and pay for the, sin, the penalty of sin. Purge it and pay for the penalty. Only Christ's death could do that. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 says, For I delivered first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Isaiah said, Yet please the Lord to bruise him. He has to put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Why? Because he bruised his son, which at that time was sin. 
Romans 5, 5 says, Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given us. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. While you were yet sinners, while you were in your sin, he died for you. The purpose of the cross. The cross has power. The medieval saints used to erect a simple cross in the center of town, every town, so that it became known as the market cross. And this still may be seen in some older towns in Europe, simple and beautiful. This idea was that the cross should dominate all of the business, all of the earthly life, all of the transactions, interests, and concerns should be under the shadow of the cross, our daily lives should be under the shadow of the cross. What did the cross then do for me? I understand what you're saying. Man had to die and sin separated us from God and you, there had to be an atonement and it was foreordained. So what happened? What did it do for me? Well, first of all, the cross provided redemption for me. I am redeemed because of the cross. He paid the price. Jesus paid it all. The wages of sin is death. Jesus died on the cross for the remission of our sins. What does that mean to redeem? It means to buy back, to buy back, to purchase with a price. Jesus paid a price. E. Stanley Jones put it this way. He said, at the cross, God wrapped his heart in flesh and blood and let it be nailed to the cross for our redemption. He wrapped his heart in flesh and blood and let it be nailed to the cross. The cross provides a ransom for me. Provides a ransom. That's the price that is actually paid. The transaction of redemption. Christ's death was the meeting of the conditions of that great covenant which the father had made with his son ages before promising eternal life to all for whom he should pay this costly price. He came to serve, the Bible says, not to be served. Provides a ransom for me, and the cross provides a substitution for me. Substitution. I'm the one that should have died on the cross. You're the one. Substitution means to put in that place of another or in behalf of another in exchange or an interchange. Second Corinthians 5, now all things are of God who has reconciled himself uh, to us through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And yes, cross provides reconciliation for me. I can be reconciled. That means to make friends and bring together those who are at odds. Do you realize that you are at odds with God? He was not your friend. I know we sing I'm a friend to God, but that's only because of the cross. It's the only way we can sing that. Because if you don't know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior, you are no friend to God. I know it sounds harsh, but I want to tell you something this morning, that God is a black and white God. There is no gray area in him. Either you are for me or you are against me. There's not many ways to me. There's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Anyone who comes by any other way is a 
thief and a robber. You can't come by Buddha. You can't come through Islam. You can't come any other way to the Father but Jesus Christ. He's not a white Jesus. He's not a black Jesus. Come on, somebody. He's all things to all men. And he's the only way to God. You are not a friend of God, but because of the cross, you're reconciled. Hebrews 2, 17, therefore in all things, he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. He understands what you go through, come on, in things pertaining to God to make a propitiation for the sins of the people. A propitiation simply means this. It's a big word, but here's what that means. It means that there's somebody that's going to display their wrath and put their wrath on you. But you bring a gift and it eases their mind and their attitude. That's what propitiation literally means. There's wrath, but there's a gift. How is this? Okay. And that's what Christ was for us. The cross provides propitiation for me. And the cross provides atonement. Another word that we talk about in church. What does atonement mean? At one meant. It brings us back to one. Atones for the sin. To cover. Expiate. To make at one. To pardon and forgive. To show mercy. The cross of Christ provides atonement. The cross of Christ also provides victory for me. Come on. Victory shall be mine. I want to tell you this this morning. Victory is already yours. <laughs> Victory, a conquest over Satan's kingdom. A conquest over his kingdom. Colossians 2.15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. Come on. And if you're in Christ this morning, you have that same victory. Hebrews 2, 14, inasmuch then as the children have partaken of the flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. How many are the seed of Abraham this morning? Come on. It provides victory for me, victory. And the cross provides healing for me. Oh, yes, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Peter recounted and said, by his stripes we were healed. We were healed. And so the cross was a terrible day in history. Darkness fell upon the earth. The earth shook. I remember watching The Passion of the Christ, the movie that attempted to depict it. I remember being in a theater and hearing tears and gasps and unbelief. And folks, this is a movie can't depict it in real life. We don't know what he went through, the nails in his hand, the skin torn from his body, 
the thorns on his head, blood dripping down, barely recognizable. And in fact, he could barely talk. Remember when he was on the cross, he began to proclaim something. And they said, oh, he's calling for Elijah. And he was saying Elohim. He wasn't saying Elijah, but I believe because he couldn't hardly talk. He was so messed up. They couldn't interpret what he was saying. And then they shoved a spear in his side. and Water and blood flowed out. A terrible day. But we can take solace this morning in understanding that that day he died on the cross was not the end of the story. How many know that it didn't stop when he died on the cross? Uh, because three days later, uh, he, he wasn't raised from the dead, somebody. He was resurrected. And there's a difference in being raised and resurrected. When you're raised, you're raised back to who you were before so you can continue on. He was resurrected anew with a new body. Come on. Not made with hands. Ah, oh, he was resurrected a, the divine Christ with all power in his hand. Come on. He was the resurrected Christ. 1 Corinthians 15. Turn there with me. Turn there with me quickly. 1 Corinthians 15 and, and down in verse 12. Look at what Paul says here. He says, now, if, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. And, if your, and your faith is also empty. Yes, we and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he has raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Why are you at church this morning if Christ did not rise? Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. There is no hope for them. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. It's a shame. It's a shame if Christ did not rise. Christ did not rise. But the truth of the matter is that Christ did rise. I don't understand why you would follow religiously another religion or cult when they don't have a savior who rose from the dead with all power. He rose from the dead. And all things now are possible because the sinless Christ who died with the sin of the world, his blood now has a divine power to produce results in us today. We are all the better because Christ died on the cross and then he rose again. He rose again. And yes, there is power in the blood. Yes, there is power in the blood. Yes, there is power in the blood. Come on. There is power in the blood. Hallelujah. I thank the Lord Jesus. My wife was listening to a song this morning. 
He did not come down. He could have. He chose not to. He did not come down. Chapter 15, verse 20, goes on to say that, but Christ has indeed been raised. But now Christ is, 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 is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of all those who have fallen asleep. And so where is our hope? Our hope lies in a risen Christ. Our hope doesn't lie in our deeds. Our hope doesn't lie in our morality. Our hope doesn't lie in others being good to us or the fact that we're trying to live a life with integrity. Our hope doesn't lie in people. Come on, our hope doesn't lie in rituals. Our hope doesn't even lie in principles. We try to have all of those things and we try to live a good life, but our hope doesn't lie in all of those things. Our hope doesn't lie in our money or our homes or our spouse or our children. Our hope doesn't lie in our 401k. Come on, somebody. Our retirement. Our hope doesn't lie in our abilities and our giftings. Our hope lies in Christ and Christ crucified and Christ risen. Our hope lies in the resurrection of Christ. So you see, there is no other where, there's no other place to go. I love when Peter was listening to Jesus with his fellow disciples and Jesus began to say some harsh words over in John chapter 6 and 7. He began to say, you must eat of my flesh and you must drink my blood. Now us as Christians, we have our rituals today. So we, we understand it and we accept it and we take it. But if you could understand being in that moment to have someone stand before you and tell you, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. These are some harsh words. And he begins to say all of these things. And disciples begin to fall away. They begin to leave. This guy's a little crazy. I'm not, I, was, I was with him until he, I'm not sure what's going on here. And they all begin to leave. And he was down to his original 12. And he looked at Peter and said, will you leave me too? And I'm sure in Peter's mind, I don't, I'm not adding anything to Scripture, but I just surmise, I, I'm sure in Peter's mind he's thinking, you are a little crazy. I mean, this doesn't, I, I'm, I don't understand what you're saying. And I would even bet that they probably knew each other as kids. We don't know. As long as I've known you, I, I don't know, I've never heard you. I mean, you've been talking crazier and crazier. Will you leave me too? And Peter said, where will I go? You have the words of life. Where am I going to go? Even though I don't understand everything, even though I don't fully get the Trinity and oneness, even though I don't understand how I can be filled with the Holy Spirit and have power, even though I truly don't understand grace, though we take it for granted, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. Because I'm not that way. And I'm a nice guy. But grace is remarkable. And un, it's, 
It's almost unobtainable, only that God poured it out on us. Even though he didn't understand all of that, he still said, where else will I go? I'm with you. Saints and friends, that is faith. Where else am I going to go? And it's not blind faith, but it's because of his word. There's nowhere else for us to go.